This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Jennifer Gotti. I played Bayel on Star Trek Next Generation, and you're listening to Earl Grey on Trek FM. T.L. Grey Hot. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Amy Nelson. Now, Richard is away this week, but I do have, as he is all the time, Justin Ozer. Justin, how are you today? I'm doing great. You know, uh, well, it was, I guess, two episodes ago now that we were at Star Trek Las Vegas talking about the big Picard series news, and it's only a little over a week later, actually, as we're recording this, but uh, great to be recording an Earl Grey in the era where we know there's a Picard series. That's not what we'll be talking about today, but it's great to know that. (laughs) I know, isn't it? It's just still the feeling carries with you. It's so exciting. I seriously just I love seeing everyone's excitement for it and very excited. Yeah, definitely. And actually, Richard's away and we don't have a guest this week. I think this is the first time that it's just you and me since I think there was one sometime last year that was like that. I I was thinking the same <laughs> thing because we usually like to, you know, have three voices on Earl Grey. Um, so this is something special. Yeah, because Richard had an urgent last-minute mission. Yes. <laughs> well, let's start off. We have a lot of Babel Conference feedback. So let's start off uh, with Earl Grey 238, and that's where we talked about Romulans in The Enemy and The Defector. Yeah, and that was the episode where we had John Krikorian from the Trek Profiles as a guest. Uh, so Tim Han says, I remember reading that the TNG episode, Face of the Enemy, hoped to bring back the Romulan commander from the TOS episode, The Enterprise Incident, but the actress was unfortunately unavailable, so the character of Toreth was created instead. Really was a missed opportunity there. Thanks, Tim. I think I had read that at some point, and um, as listeners might know, if they listen to me talking about it on the Trek Profiles podcast, and I, maybe we mentioned on that Earl Grey episode as well, the Romulan commander from The Enterprise Incident is basically my favorite guest character in all of Star Trek. So if she would have been able to come back into that role in Face of the Enemy, that would have been awesome. Still, yes. Carolyn Seymour was awesome as as Tareth, but that would have been really something to see if, if you had that continuity there. Yeah, that's a great comment. Uh, Matthew Benware says, listening tomorrow, Earl Grey is my new favorite podcast. Well, Matthew, welcome, and we're so glad that you are enjoying, and just thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Always great to hear. Not only that people like Earl Grey, but if it's their favorite, it doesn't have to be for you to listen, but when listeners comment that, it makes us uh, feel a lot of love, so thank you. <laughs> it does. Stefan Ringline says, Jolan True, I really enjoyed this episode. I remember watching those two episodes in first run as a kid and being absolutely fascinated. 
I love the Romulans and everything about them. The uniforms, yes, I like them better than the TOS uniforms. The awesome Dideradex Warbird, the V on their forehead, which I missed in Star Trek 2009. TNG Romulans are the first ones I saw, so they are my favorites till today. I also would have liked to have seen more of them. Great discussion, guys. Well, thanks, Stefan. And I think we made fun of some of the fashion choices for the Romulans and TNG, but it's great that that you love that and everything about it. I do love the Romulans and TNGN and in TOS, but it's great that that's where you were introduced and what you knew about them first. So thanks for that comment. Yeah. It's always interesting when you see them first, it just sticks in your head, you know, and that's the one you go to. So I think so. Although I think the first time, let me think about this, that I saw the Romulans, it might've been, well, actually maybe it was Star Trek 2009, <laughs> which is a very different yeah. version, but uh, I, I love the ones in TOS and, and TNG both. Well, we have some feedback from our discussion on the Picard announcement, and that's Earl Grey 239. If you haven't listened to it, please go back. We encourage you to. It's very exciting. Uh, That's an understatement, Amy. We got a lot of feedback. I think since I've been on Earl Grey the last uh, year, that's been the most comments I've ever seen. It felt almost like a postcards episode, didn't it? (laughs) Because we're getting all the feedback, the hundreds of comments. So, of course, we can't read all of them. But we'll read a few here. There were varying opinions, but we just, you know, kind of picked out a, a few here. AJ Black says, such fantastic news. Stuart never really got the chance to properly see Picard off. So if this gives us a fitting end to the character, we don't want another Kirk in Generations, let's face it, then it will be worth it. Plus, post-Nemesis, we've only been waiting for that for 15 years. I cannot wait. Yeah, we're excited as well. And, you know, I have to say with all the... You know, the stuff that you got in the in the Kelvin movies and with Discovery, I was wondering if we would only ever get 23rd century stuff. So I think, as I said, it's great to have something post-Nemesis so we can kind of move things forward and see what that's like as well. Yeah. Yeah, that has been a very common theme going out that's finally we're going, you know, beyond Nemesis, beyond Voyager. So. But I like that we'll have kind of both at the same time. We'll have Discovery right? in the 23rd century and then the Picard series in the 24th century which is something, I mean, I guess you had that uh, when TNG was on and there were a couple of original series movies. You had kind of those going on in different centuries at the same time. So it'll be great to see that again. Yeah. Tim Han says, two moving things I took away from this group discussion episode. One, Brandon Shea Mutella's emotional breakdown overhearing the news. Let the tears and emotions flow, brother. We are all with you. And Haley Stoddard's story and confession over her difficult upbringing when she was younger. We hear you, sister. We all feel and sympathize with you. Yet what brings us all together is how the power of Star Trek can unite us all together to solve what others would decide is unsolvable. Very well said. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was very emotional sitting there, you know, with all of us hosts and, you know, just getting that raw reaction. It it was very powerful. It was. I mean, and being there, you know, in the room and seeing the emotion that it was bringing out was was really something. So, yeah, thank you, Tim. And and thank you again, you know, Brandon Shamatala and Haley Stoddard for for sharing what you did on that on that episode. We really appreciate it. So Stefan Ringline says, wow, just wow, just finished listening. Thank you guys for giving us an idea of what it was like to hear the big news firsthand and live. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and emotions. When Brandon was talking, I was almost to tears as well. It's a special moment in Star Trek history, and having this podcast with with all you great hosts was the icing on the cake for me. Over here in Germany, people are excited as well. To the future, engage. (laughs) 
<laughs> so thank you. And it's great to know of uh, how people are feeling about it elsewhere, like in Germany, where I know there's a lot of, of uh, big Star Trek fans. So thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> and Dan Hadley says, this will be my very first listen to Earl Grey. Filling the Picard love and last few days has really stoked me up. And it's great. Trek FM is right on this already. So again, welcome. Love to have new listeners. And it was very exciting to just to record that and get that out as soon as we could. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for listening. Hope you stay with us because not every episode is about big news. But, <laughs> uh, but yes, that's always wonderful to hear that it's someone's first time listening to Earl Grey. So welcome and hope you also listen to our other podcasts on Trek FM. And finally, we had some, again, some great feedback on characters who play musical instruments. That is Earl Grey 240. Uh, this was just such a fun episode. So Justin, why don't you start us off? It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so first we have uh, Jerry Gilbert Paduano, who says, I see Data playing Devil Went Down to Georgia with Charlie Daniels. You know you love it. Well, yes, I think we do. <laughs> I hadn't thought about yes. that, but it's a great, great, great choice. <laughs> I definitely, I just might have to rescind. I mean, although I love Dixie Chicks, but this this is great. Yeah. You don't want to see like Data dressed up as, as a woman in the Dixie Chicks anymore? Well, I do, but I, now I want to see them both. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe they'll have a concert together. <laughs> yes. Now, Wes Hennington says, you mentioned Jethro Tull in regards to Picard's flute. My ears went up because I have been a Jethro Tull fan all my life, thanks to my dad. Living in the past would be the best song Picard could rock out with his flute. He could also rock out to the song Locomotive Breath, too. By the way, Picard did also play the flute, albeit briefly, in the opening scenes of A Fistful of Datas. Yeah, thank you, Wes. Uh, glad you enjoyed us talking about that. I had totally forgotten that it's in a fistful of data is where Picard, I think he's playing flute, but he keeps getting interrupted. I'll have to rewatch interrupted, that. Interrupted, <laughs> yeah, over and over again. <laughs> well, Greg Malumby says, Amy, you're a Dixie Chicks fan? Cool, so am I. Also, Justin's little joke predicting news from the convention was very prophetic. Great discussion on the various instruments used in the series. Well, thank you, Greg. And well, I'll just comment on the part where you mentioned me. You know, when we recorded that, I thought, you know, I'd say something, we'd have some earth shattering news. And of course we wouldn't, right? That doesn't happen at conventions, but it did. (laughs) Oh my God. It did. I know. When Greg posted that, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot (laughs) that you made that prediction because we recorded that, you know, obviously before Uh, before. (laughs) STLV. And there's never any news for us. It always happens at SDCC. So it was awesome. Let's hope also that's the norm that when they have big news, they bring it to Star Trek conventions. I would love that. (laughs) And I think that would get even more people to go to the conventions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and glad you enjoyed the discussion and that you're a fan of the Dixie Chicks like Amy is. That made you happy to see that, right? It did. It did. Uh, Matthew Benware says, great episode. I didn't originally think I would enjoy this topic, but as usual, you all made it so interesting. Well done. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. And thanks for putting faith in us. You probably saw the description. You were like, ah, that's not it. But I'll listen anyway. So I'm glad that you did and that you enjoyed it. We try to make it interesting no matter the topic. We do. Well, let's get on to today's discussion. I'm very excited. I think Justin did some great work, and we do have to give props to our Standard Orbit team. Uh, They, on their episode 168, that was back April last year, 
And they talked about uh, TOS, the original series, Creatures and Monsters. And so we are going to follow their lead and talk about some TNG-inspired creatures and monsters. I can't believe it's been on our list for this long, because I, I think after... Actually, they think they did it before I even joined Earl Grey, but it was always like, you should do Creatures of TNG. Well, now we're going to do that. And I'll just start by saying, you know, I picked out a certain number, but there were a lot more. I probably had a list that was two or three times as long, but we have only so much time. So we'll see what we can cover here. And you can also put in the ones that, that you think about when you think of creatures in TNG. Yeah. Listeners, let us know if we hit any of yours or which ones are your favorite or some that we had missed. Because there's obviously, a, 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 the list is long. Although I guess it depends on how you define a creature. Like, how do you? What do you see as a creature in Star Trek? Yeah. So <laughs> starting with this first one, you you put down Gaw. Yes. And I was like, is that really a creature? It seems it's more food, right? Yeah, but it kind of writhes around and it uh, it's it's alive when Klingons are eating it. It's kind. Of, I mean, yeah, we don't communicate with it. We don't talk to it or anything like that. But if you think of a creature, it's. I mean, you could have a broad definition. It could be anything that's maybe non-humanoid, but maybe it's humanoid and seems more animal or creature-like. I don't know. But for some reason, like when I was doing my research, that's the first thing that, that came up because, uh, you know, it, it is just food, but we do see, sometimes see it writhing around and they're worms. So they're creatures, yeah. you know, but I don't know why that first came up for me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I saw that. I was like, well, okay. So I guess if you're vegan, then you wouldn't be eating gach. No, I don't know if listeners know, but I am vegan. So I would not eat the, the gach. Maybe there'd be right. a vegetarian substitute. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it would still writhe around. But but yeah, no. I, I mean, it, 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 so it's, it's, it was first introduced in the TNG episode, A Matter of Honor. I don't know if you actually really see it a lot, but you hear it referred to a lot and... Um, there's even a Deep Space Nine episode where Ezri Dax is talking about all of the various different kinds of disgusting gawk that's out there, but uh-huh. I don't know why, but this was the first one on the list. I don't know if there's a lot to say about it, except, I mean, what do you think is, do you see it and you're like, Ooh, or do you see it and you're like, I'd like to eat that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, I like sushi, so eating things raw, but this you is know, alive is okay, at its best. But this is alive. So that's, you know, it sort of crosses the line there. Okay. I mean, maybe, well, because they mentioned like, you know, some people it's dead, you know, when they eat it and they're like, oh, it's not alive. It's right. better. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I could do it. But Riker Man in Matter With of Honor, relish. he just digs right in. <laughs> to all the Klingon food. And I think yeah. this may be the only one on the list that is routinely seen as food i think <laughs> i think it's safe yeah. to say but anyway for whatever reason that that just came up first when i was doing my research well and i guess we won't mention saru's or the threat ganglia <laughs> well wrong series <laughs> yeah i don't want to spoil things for people but uh i don't think that's a part of <laughs> of a sentient being not a creature really but i hadn't thought about that hmm yeah <laughs> All right. Well, we're not talking about disgusting food. Let's get on this one uh, again from our Klingon culture, the Targ. And we know that Worf had a Targ growing up. I think so. I mean, it appears in this episode where no one has gone before where people are kind of imagining things. So it's like Mm -hmm. he's imagining this this creature. It. I think it was 
they brought in like a wild boar or something to play the, yes. the targ. So it has these tusks and this weird fur, and it's basically like like a boar. But it's possible that you see it also in Star Trek Three and Star Trek Six, though they don't call them targs. But I mean, they're kind of like Klingon dogs, would you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. with horns, and, with horns yeah. and interesting fur. And I don't know, maybe it's something we could see more of. Would you like to see more Targs? I would. I mean, it's sort of nice knowing that Klingons have pets like we do. It, it You yeah. know, it makes them a little more endearing. And it's like, oh, okay, they have homes and, you know, stuff like that. Because we just always see them in this warrior mentality. Yeah. So I, I liked the addition that expanded their culture. I mean, actually, you just see it a little bit. But if it is a Targ that you're seeing in, like, Star Trek three by Krug's side. It looks pretty vicious. Looks like they can be kind of vicious. So yeah, looks like something that might take uh, some a while to yeah. get trained. And as I was thinking about it, I mean, you see other pets like you see Picard's fish Livingston in his ready room. You see that Data has a cat spot, but they're just what you would usually see, you know, on Earth. Let's say. But I'm trying to think if we see any other pets besides Targs yeah, that are like that are kind Vulcan of exotic. Pet? No, we do actually. Ah, but that's not on here because it wasn't in in the in uh, TNG. But you. You do see in the animated series the Salot, which is kind of like a Vulcan cat almost, I guess. Yeah. And you see there are references elsewhere, but I don't think you you don't see one in in TNG. But yeah, there's the Salot. Maybe that's the only other one. Yeah. Yay. Yay. There is another one. I've seen that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you've seen that far into the animated series, right? Yes. I have. Yeah. But yeah, but it is unusual that we see exotic pets like that. Maybe we'll see more. Maybe Picard, 20 years after Nemesis, has some kind of exotic pet. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what he's doing In his then. travels and... Oh, my God. We could keep speculating. Yeah. I know. <laughs> we need to know what he's doing first. But, yeah. Okay. So, this one, very excited to talk about because this one freaks me out. <laughs> it's the parasite from Conspiracy. Yes. So, what did you think about this creature? I mean, it's small. I mean, in fact, I think the last time it was just the two of us, we talked about conspiracy. Was that right? I think so. Yeah, it's it's really creepy. I mean, when you take a look at it and it's in this case that this admiral has, I mean, it, it kind of looks like, I don't know, it's it's some kind of like vicious beetle or something. I don't know. How would you describe it? it, it but it yeah. It's to me it's sort of a cross between like a beetle and a scorpion. Yeah, I could see you that. Yeah, just sort of like the pincers, although it just has the one, but it sort of, you know, crawls like a scorpion, you know, um and and it's got this to me this hard exterior shell like a beetle, but it is freaky. It can move fast and it does some serious damage. And I think it's the first one on on this list that is can be very dangerous because of course it can take you over and make you do other things and like make you increase your strength and make you really formidable and yeah they they always creep me out i mean that that's definitely like a horror movie kind of creature that you see in conspiracy right yeah, and the buildup through the episode, like, you know, we only see one, and then we see two, and then at the end, there's like this mother, and there's a whole bunch of them <laughs> all crawling. That's just classic horror movie, freaky. It just freaks Quite me out. Quite possibly the freakiest creature in the next generation. Well, we'll see it from this list, but <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah, every time I see it, I, I just think, 
<sighs> you wouldn't want to encounter that one. Whereas a targ, it's like, oh, that's a nice pet. And with yeah. the gawk, it's like, oh, it's just squirming around on the plate. It's not going to like jump off the plate and kill you. Right? Exactly. As far as we know. Yeah. But I, I see that parasite and it's just like, ooh, and you have to shiver, makes my skin crawl and I get the heebie-jeebies. It definitely does. And for this parasite, we only see it in that episode. Now, Zach Moore, take a shot. I'm going to say in the novels, <laughs> you get yeah. to see the parasites again. Um, there's a DS9 novel called Unity where you see them, which I probably mentioned before. But yeah, you'd never really see them again on screen and don't know what happened. Who knows? Maybe in the, I'm going to keep doing this. Maybe in the Picard series, it's the parasites <laughs> come back and Picard has to fight them again. Who knows? But, but yeah, they're real. I mean, and they make a huge impact for just being in that one episode, I think. Well, and where did they even get these parasites? Because it was through their travels you know, that one of them was infected and then... They're very vague in the episode, but they build up this whole backstory for them in the novels, so... Okay. Yeah. I don't want to spoil right. it, but yeah, they, yeah, in the episode, that that's that's also like, where do they come from? Are there more of them? How far away are they? Because at the end, you know, Remick, who's been taken over by this queen parasite, sends a message and they don't know where or what's going on, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a creature to steer clear of if you can. Yes. Now, at Encounter at Farpoint, we get these lovely space jellyfish. They are so beautiful and what powers they have, right? Yes, because they can mimic a station and they have other powers and, and you don't really know where that comes from or why they're like that. But, you know, starting out right away, and as you can see, we're not going in chronological order of the episodes. It was just whatever yeah. came up. But you see these these space jellyfish and they're these space-borne organisms that pretty much, I guess their whole lives are supposed to be in space, but they're mimicking this far point station. They seem really powerful. They seem huge. I mean, they they really dwarf the Enterprise. I mean, they're these giant, mm -hmm. like kilometers long creatures. And we don't really get to know too much about them, but they seem, you know, pretty fascinating, right? Yeah, well, and they're telepathic because like whatever you think, mm -hmm. whatever you wish, whatever your desire is, then they produce, you know, it's like, oh, there's these apples. I really wanted oranges. Oh, here's an orange. <laughs> oh, let's look at this beautiful material. I wish they had this in metallic. Ta-da, here it is, you know. So very powerful. And there was no in, intent to do harm. But yet, so right. I think it's interesting that humans or whatever they were at Farpoint. They were a different... It was a, it was a different species. I'd have to look up what yeah. the name of them was. But Grop Groppler Zorn was one of them, right? Yes. They're going to capture it and use it for their benefit and with no consideration to this obviously intelligent life and a commentary in and of itself right there. Yeah, and, it, and it's quite different. You know, the one we just talked about, Conspiracy, it was like, oh my God, they're trying to take over our whole society. We need to get rid of them. And here they're they're kind of being in, enslaved. Yes. So, yeah, it, I looked it up and they're the bandy that are on that, yes, that planet. Yes, the bandy. Now, right. there's also a novel connection for this one. Oh. For one that I recently read, it's a Titan novel called Orion's Hounds. Um, it's really, really excellent. And this is the one I told you, Amy, where Troy, Deanna Troy is basically the star of it. But... 
They also bring yes. back the space jellyfish. They call them star jellies in, in the novel. Mm-hmm. And there's actually this area of space they come from where there's this whole like group of different diverse like space-born species. He actually creates Ooh. this really interesting world, and it's a great, great novel. So, But on screen, we don't see much, but he builds up like this whole thing about the star jellies and all these other organisms he calls cosmozoans that basically live their lives completely in space, which is, which is a really great concept just thinking like oh you don't need a planet (laughs) you just and they just kind of feed off of energy from stars and other things and it's a really great novel it builds up like a whole universe for that but I've always been fascinated by them since the first time I saw Encounter at Farpoint and I wanted to to know more about them yeah well and I love their love connection that they have that they are mates you know and so again that just yeah they touch tentacles it seems kind of intimate (laughs) but yeah it is but no they do seem like they're i mean i guess they must be a sentient species i mean it seems like they're a really fascinating sentient species and we're calling them creature here i think because they're just so different they live in space they're not humanoid uh they're very different but they're they're really great and i i do kind of love that they're at the center of that whole mystery in the episode. Yeah. And I like, again, like you said, like we don't really see a lot of space living creatures. There's um, a few more on the list me. though. <laughs> yeah. But we don't see. Oh, that's true. Yeah, there, that's There's a true. couple more later in the list, but as far as space born, I, I mean, there's probably a handful of episodes that talk about that in the next generation and maybe a few more elsewhere in Star Trek. It's not a common thing because usually you want your away team or landing party to go to a planet and to find a species yeah. that lives on a planet. And land somewhere. And land somewhere <laughs> and yeah, that kind of stuff. So it, it's it's a nice treat when you see space-born species like this. Yeah. Well, unlike Discovery had the tardigrade, you know. That is true. Although the tardigrade yeah. can live on Discovery, apparently. Yeah. Whereas the space jellyfish, it's, it's too big to live on any ship. So Yeah, but it's living on a planet as That's well. That's true. It does yeah. do that as well. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. The tardigrade is one of those. You are absolutely yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, another uh, space living creature um, we get in Galaxy Child, um, the space born species. I don't think that right? I was trying to look it up. It doesn't really have a name. It is just a space born species from Galaxy's Child where they encounter this organism that's living in in space the way they designed it i think it's almost like a ravioli with a tail (laughs) that's what it seems like not to demean it but because it has like these indentations in it and like this circular part and then it has a tail at the back now i'm gonna see that every time i watch this episode (laughs) but they're too big to eat don't try to eat them but but yeah so they encounter this organism and they find that you know they're trying to ward it off uh but end up killing it and they find it's a mother and they have to help it give birth to a child and then you know they end up finding all all of these different members of that species in an asteroid belt and they're trying to glom onto the energy on the hull i mean they're a lot of the focus of of the episode and you know unlike the space jellyfish from encounter at farpoint you see it looks like there's just dozens and dozens of them living together and they have this whole community i think it's really interesting yeah because they feed off the neutrino some part of the energy i don't remember what the, the what it was but there's something that they were feeding off of that they couldn't that they congregate in a certain place but i forget because i haven't seen the episode yeah i'm pretty sure it was the neutrino because they send out this neutrino beam so Mm -hmm. that they could follow and go in their little asteroid area that was high in neutrinos and so yeah they they just live out there in space among 
asteroids and they're really the focus of the episode and you know a very different design than the space jellyfish <laughs> sorry yeah. ravioli with the tail that that sounds weird now but <laughs> but that's kind of what it, they make me think of and they're very interesting creatures again just like living out in the vacuum of space will we find something like that out there that would be really interesting if yeah. we found maybe more of that even than species on planets who knows yeah right well and i like this one again because there's this idea of a family unit mm-hmm. you know that that this creature brings that yeah out there in space you know there's these groups and living in their communities yeah and well in when the the mother creature dies but the the child inside is is still alive they have to kind of do like a c-section with their phaser it's like surgery in space which is a really interesting idea that you i don't know if you really even see much elsewhere but right yeah it's just so i think what we're finding so far is what's great about these different creatures that are just so different from you know the humanoid species that we're used to is that there's a lot of like different storytelling potential and thinking about different societies and different ways of of thinking of things it feels a lot more exotic and alien i think than if it's humanoid just living on a planet where you can breathe oxygen right yeah very true yeah and i like sort of the differing perspectives that you get from the crew on the enterprise because you know some are like well we need to kill it because it's draining our energy and and well we have a responsibility because the mother died and you know so it's it's a sentient life oh it's just a you know a space alien that's not sentient you know and so that whole debate of you know what how are we going to react when we encounter new life, new creatures? Exactly. Yeah. And also, how does Jordy react when the real Leia Brahms comes by? <laughs> <laughs> now, another fascinating creature, which I'm very excited to talk about, is Gumtu in Tin Man. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, this, what, describe this, Justin. Well, you know, like I, I included in, in our outline an image that I found. I mean, you see inside the creature as well, but on the outside, it's almost like, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but it, yeah. but it seems like it's, it's some kind of like, not like a walnut, but some kind of like nut <laughs> that has like this oh, energy yeah. underneath it, but it's kind of like a little bit torpedo shaped. Uh, it's, so it, it's just another different kind of design for a spaceborne. A creature and it can communicate telepathically with this betazoid that that comes by and you get to see inside of it it's it's you know can have an atmosphere that people can breathe and i think it even has like a chair you can sit in that it, i mean it can kind of mold and form itself so right that's another interesting idea Be- well actually for the space jellyfish you, they did go inside of that because there was this chamber where they were holding zorn but mm-hmm. you don't really see inside of the Spaceborne species and galaxies child but here you do and it's like this kind of i mean it is a sentient life form but it's like a bio ship as well i mean there's a really interesting like idea here and it's also very powerful because it can put out this energy wave that i think at one point knocks the enterprise and romulan ship way out into space so mm-hmm. they're just mm-hmm. gathering all of this energy and it seems like they're they're all you know pretty powerful for for being these spaceborne species. 
Yeah, and I like that this one, uh, sort of similar to us, where we need our star, we need our sun, mm-hmm. and and Gumtu, you know, is looking for because his star, you know, collapsed, died, and right. so so he's out looking, and so yeah, and I like with Gumtu that they're combining this idea of a ship with a sentient being. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know, because we don't really see it, especially this this early on. And I just think it's interesting that, it, yeah, it can produce major energy. It can, you know, travel. Does it go warp speed? I think it can go what? warp speed. Yeah. 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 So it's like really weird to to combine these two ideas because, you know, everything previously, like the jellyfish, they're just, you know, hanging out and, you know, in uh, Galaxy's Child, they're just hanging out in the asteroid belt, whatever. But man, this Gumtu, he's going to travel. Actually, I was just looking it up. Has warp drive and transporter capability, <laughs> and can have like a a shield. So it is like a ship, right? Yeah, a sentient ship. Mm-hmm. And somehow has this special connection with the Betazoid in the episode, who I was name I wish I could remember now. <laughs> oh, oh Tam, but it's the one that it's Tam Elbrun. Yeah. Yes. That's it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and Troy knows him, right? Well, and, and this was the first episode of The Next Generation that Richard saw, right? Yeah, that's right. And it's one of his favorites because of that. So it is. if you're listening, Richard, yeah. <laughs> we had this discussion for you. But yeah, it, it it is. a, And I think it's great that with these space-borne species in The Next Generation, they don't all look the same. I think between the space jellyfish, the space-borne species in Galaxy's Child, and Gomtu from Tin Man, they all look quite different. So I like that they were taking the time to design that like they would a different ship mm-hmm. that's of a different species so i think that's really great yeah they they all you're right everyone they just all look different and unique and i mean the the three of these look a lot different than any three like federation starships in the 24th century probably because they have kind of similar well maybe the defiance different but but I, I do like that they took a lot of time to to just have an interesting design yeah yeah well, one creature that I guess we could qualify as a monster you could, is Armus yeah. from Skin of Evil. Yeah. Now, Armus, I think, is a very interesting idea. So he is the collection of all this negativity, hatred. Mm-hmm. That, that some other beings left behind for him, right? Right. Yeah, which is really tragic to think about. But yeah. yeah, in the episode, he has all of this negativity and and becomes kind of this embodiment of of evil and is just looking to kind of vent his rage through the episode and unfortunately kill Tasha. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Like, but a, as far as design, I mean, basically, it looks like a person in a suit that's been covered in like black ink, which is kind of what yes. happened. I think they. It is. It ended up being like printer's ink and Metamucil that they like kind of mixed up together to to make this. And so in that way, maybe more of looks like something from the original series. But I think it's an interesting design for, for Armus because right away, you know, you, you it seems like really mysterious. You can't really kind of get to know him. I guess for the spaceborne species, there isn't like, you know, a head with eyes or something like that for the most part. But there's something mm-hmm. like that feels a little bit more like, oh, I can deal with this. But but with Armus, it just feels like it's just, it's like a giant oil slick, <laughs> you know? And it's like, how can you reason with that? 
Right. And well, the fact that he can, you know, go to this gelatinous, you know, oil slick, as you say, but then also appear as this. Yeah. Gather himself up into like a humanoid form. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he's got to be. I don't know. I mean, that just seems I don't think we've seen a creature like this before that can take on different shapes that still that we don't even know what it is. I mean, it's not a person. Well, I mean, maybe we've seen something a little bit like that with some of the shape-shifting entities that you might see in the original series, like even going back to the salt vampire and the man trap where it's like can kind of imitate different people, but not quite oh, like this. Not, right. not quite like this where where it's like I'm not going to you know imitate someone to try to do something. I'm just going to be my own thing (laughs) and i'm Mm -hmm. gonna have this it's like he has this form where he's just kind of spread out as a liquid but that can then gather himself into something solid and as that liquid can pull Riker in and all this stuff which is yeah and so it's got to be deep but yet like when you see the you know him move it just looks like he's on ground but then he pulls these people in and it's like well you know if you you've uh heard jonathan frakes talk about it like there was this elevator you know, that mm-hmm. lift them <laughs> up and down. And, oh, it's just, oh, that scene where Riker in his mouth is open <laughs> and he gets swallowed in Ooh. like that. That must have been really yeah. something just to, to shoot that because that's that's no fun. I mean, whether no. whether it was actually, was it actually Jonathan Frakes doing some of that where he's like covered in it or was it like a stand-in? I don't know. I I think it might have been Jonathan Frakes, but <laughs> I mean, he talks about it like he was there. He was the one doing it. Oh. So, I'm just kind of curious because this is, you know, another one that's really dangerous. Would you rather face Armis or the parasites from Conspiracy? <laughs> oh man, sakes alive. I mean, it's it's a little tough because with Armis, you know, with one gesture, you can just strike someone down and and kill them and with the parasites it's not going to be a quick death <laughs> or, or right. they're going to take you over. And then maybe, I don't know if the parasites themselves are really killing people, but they're kind of but taking they're them. Using they're using you. you. And, but then yeah. you may die because you're doing something that, <laughs> that someone has to, has to shoot you for. So, yeah. So then you know that your body is being used. That's in a way that you don't want it to, you mm-hmm. know, and here you would just die. Yeah. They're both, they're both know. pretty dangerous. Unfortunately, Armis is the most dangerous to someone that's leaving the show because <laughs> he wasn't going to like strike down Picard or Riker, but yeah. Yeah. I, I think he's the most, well, I think he's more complex because I'm still am unclear as like, what is he like the, you know, the, uh, little beetle scorpions, you know, like that's a shape. That's who they are. This, I don't even know. How does he get his powers? Why is he telepathic? What, you know, and, and there's no reasoning like with the parasites, you could be like, well, don't take over this world. Cause we're not worth it. And you know, maybe, but at the same time, you don't know what the ultimate, goal is of the the parasites it's like okay they're looking to take over the federation but then what you don't quite know whereas with armis it's like i have all this hatred and rage and i just want to strike out like yeah that's pretty much all there is to it he doesn't have any grand plan or design but he's dangerous because like he could just strike you down uh i don't know i think they're they're both quite dangerous and i think yeah this 
qualify as more of a monster. Although, like, what's the difference really between a creature and a monster? A monster is just like a creature that has an Ill evil intent. intent. Yeah. Yeah. Could say that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this looks like a monster. Uh, right. It really does. I mean, yeah. it could actually have been like a monster from like a 50s horror movie or something, right? Exactly. <laughs> has that feel to it. All right, so this one's interesting because, again, this one doesn't really take any shape that we know of. Um, it's Is it living in space? We don't know. Uh, this is from Home Soil, the microbrain life form. Ugly bags of mostly water. <laughs> it is that one that calls them ugly bags of mostly water. I mean, you, you, you see it's kind of like this point of light, and then mm -hmm. I think at the end of the episode it ends up, you know, kind of making itself into this certain shape. But but it's it's kind of like the the space jellyfish because it had this habitat on this planet like under the the soil and it was being disturbed by what was going on with this terraforming project and is kind of because of that is kind of trying to defend itself and its species and and lashing out so you can really feel for it a lot, right? Although <laughs> they're so tiny that it's hard to it was actually even hard to get like a good image because <laughs> it's like, okay, it's a point of light, <laughs> right? And then I think yeah. toward the end, it just ends up becoming this, turning into this shape and going somewhere else. But but yeah, I mean, what do you think of, am I stretching the definition by calling it a creature? <laughs> yeah, maybe a little um, an entity, but it sort of fits. What, do you think it's a creature? I, I mean, I put it on the list because I was thinking of creature as something that you can interact with that's not humanoid and that's exotic, like something you wouldn't find on Earth. Like it's not Data's cat, right? Right, <laughs> It's yeah. something I would, even though you could call that a creature, it's something that's more exotic or different than, you know, seeing like a Vulcan or a Klingon or something like that, that for the most part is kind of like a human, but with some different features and attitudes, right? But right, this is something yeah. that's, that's pretty alien. That's the way I'm thinking of it. Yeah. Then absolutely agreed. Cause yeah, this one, uh, and I, different from encounter at far point, like this one, we're not trying to enslave it. I mean, I guess we are trying to destroy it. Well, it's like they were accidentally doing it, but at a certain point they were kind of the, I think the director of the project was kind of looking the other way, but it wasn't, I think with the same kind of intent, like Zorn knows right. that, the space jellyfish is sentient and he's basically enslaving it. And in this case, yeah. it's a bit more accidental. But I think it's it's an interesting idea that you could have something that's so small that can still communicate with you. That mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. you could use the universal that's that's where I think, wow, the universal translator is amazing. You know, not only these these humanoid creatures that are kind of speaking and have vocal cords, but there's this tiny point of light <laughs> that you can communicate with. That's pretty impressive, right? Yeah. And oh, I'm sorry I'm being so negative, but it just, and then they figure out a way that, oh, it needs light. And so we're going to starve it of its light. Yeah, they're kind make... of torturing it at one point, aren't they? I know. Like, that makes me uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. Like, oh, I let know, me, that one... if you thrive on light, let me dim the light switch. Ah, no, don't do that. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> but that's like the negotiating tactic that Picard uses because they're endangering the ship, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting one just to to think about like this little creature. I mean, it also makes you think like are there 
little creatures on Earth that might be sentient, but we don't have a universal translator, so we can't communicate with them? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Could be. Yeah. We need to get that universal translator going. Well, you know, they're working on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they do have they are. pretty good real-time translation for some languages now, so I think we're getting there. They do. But that's just for the languages we know. The universal translator can really look at a language it's never seen before and analyze it and try to figure it out. That's something we can't do yet, for sure. Yeah. All right. Now, this one I always get confused, um, but this one is the little nanites from evolution. Yep. And I always get them confused with the exocomps, but they're oh, not okay. the same. I know. Isn't that weird? Exocomps are much bigger <laughs> individually. I know. But... <laughs> and they go in and fix things. And they have but the they little feed sentient. and they fly. And, yeah. I know. And they're little cute. But the nanites, this is the one from Wesley's experiment. Well, it is still Wesley's experiment. It is from experiment. Wesley's experiment. Yeah. And they escape and they start causing havoc on the ship. Yeah. And this is another one where there are these tiny, tiny organisms. I mean, they're microscopic. Like microscopic. And you can communicate with them with the universal translator and they can inhabit data and talk through him. And wow, I mean, that's that's really, really something. I mean, it's kind of similar to the to the microbrain in that they're kind of accidentally doing harm because they just because they kind of break out and start, I guess, reproducing. They Mm -hmm. end up having all these generations and like building up all this knowledge and they really just want. They don't really necessarily want to destroy the ship, but they need something like to feed off of. And so mm-hmm. they, what, they end up giving them a planet, I think, <laughs> or they're going to, the nanite planet. That would be interesting yeah. what it would look like. Maybe Picard visits the nanite planet. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's another one that's like a fascinating idea because it's a little different than this microbrain kind of life form because like when, when they they are showing it, it almost looks like, a circuit in your computer <laughs> that's just kind of moving around, but it's sentient and it's eating stuff. And it's it can be really dangerous, but it's accidental, right? Yeah. So did Wesley create them or did he find them? I don't think he created them. I think it's something that was around, but he was doing some kind of experiment and they got out. It makes you wonder, like, why didn't this happen before where they got out and wreaked havoc? But... I, right. I think it's implied that this is something that existed already. I mean, and, and, and also like in our own time, we're starting to have nanotechnology and machines, maybe a bit like nanites that can even think about doing like microsurgery and stuff like that. I think a lot of it's experimental, but we're getting toward that point where you could see something like that. But I think it's, yeah, I don't think it's something he created. He was just doing like a science experiment with a couple of them and they got out. Yeah, so he had to have found them somehow. Or created them. I mean, they're they're not really clear on what they really are. I know, because I'm like, if he created them, then it's not really a creature because it's a, a man-made product gone wrong, you know? But yeah. if he found them and was researching them, then that, I guess, would fit into this. It, it is very unclear. It's just... Yeah, I probably... St- maybe stretch this one too far because it, it I was reading more about it and it is kind of like a originally like a robotic device that, you know, gained sentience in, in the episode. But I was including yeah. it because it's it's quite exotic. I mean I guess you could put it the is. exocomps as well. Although the exocomps seem more like a machine that you would usually see, right? 
Yeah, and that's well, and plus that they were definitely created, and then mm-hmm. getting into AI, which we're not going. Yeah, there. apparently these were created <laughs> for for hmm. research, but they became sentient. Yeah, actually, like when I was thinking about creatures, I was like, what about the Enterprise computer in Emergence? Because it becomes yeah, this right? like emer- this sentient being, really. But it's been. But I thought that was too far. <laughs> Maybe I'm stretching some of these too far. Well, we'll save that for an AI discussion because, yeah, being created versus being discovered is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on to uh, the Tarkanon 3 life form in Identity Crisis. And I love this episode. Um, this is where Jordy goes down and this virus or something takes over something in them takes and then over they and they turn... end up turning into into something else i mean this is the one where basically they're it looks like they have like a black bodysuit and there's like these blue veiny things and Wires, green eyes that they yeah. have so i mean apparently it's a way for this life form to to kind of be able to continue and to to reproduce it it will kind of infect you I guess and start turning you into what it wants to be on this planet Mm -hmm. so and I think it's a very and I think you can like at a certain point they become pretty much invisible and you can just see them under ultraviolet light which is pretty interesting but it's also like it it has to transform another being into what it wants to be so that's a little Mm -hmm. bit different right so So, more like a parasite kind of like, cause it needs, it needs something else to continue to live. So it's going to get this. Kind of. I mean, although a virus, you know, needs something from you in order to continue to, to keep going and reproducing, but it does, it doesn't transform you like this does, right? Yeah. Something, something different. But yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting design and an interesting life form. And it seems like it's, it's dangerous because it could transform you and you might never be able to be reversed from that form brought back apparently Jordy is okay to do that by that point but but it it could be an irreversible change and it's an interesting idea yeah and i like it have you heard um lavar burton talk about this suit that he had to wear this a little bit yeah you're right it was just this green you know for the green screen you know and then these wires and they would and and I think I mentioned in a, in a at one point in a previous Earl Grey that Michael Westmore has said that out of everything that he did from 1987 to 2005 <laughs> for makeup, this took the longest. Was this mm. creature it took like six hours or something like that? I think it was like six hours to put it on, a couple hours to take it off. It was just like an all day thing. And I think yeah. Lavar Burton was like, "Let's just do all the shots we possibly need to yep. do and make it one day, please." <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. Uh, and and that's an interesting idea as well that they become invisible and you can only see them under certain kinds of light. So mm-hmm. well, and I like this too because you know again going back to what I mentioned, like you see that there's this community of these creatures that they you know are living together and but yet they sort of de evolve like they're more instinctual but yet still live in communities is what I understand. Yeah. I don't know if they were clear about it, but it's like they can't really communicate in the same way anymore. Right. So something's been taken away, but I don't know if we really know much about how they work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is, I don't know, creature or monster. I'll let you decide. (laughs) We have from schisms, 
the you're gonna have to uh, say that name selenogen based life form so they aren't given yes. a name in the episode but they're the ones that <laughs> i think when we talked about it before some of the people who were working on the episode said they ended up coming up like fish monks because <laughs> they have these hoods and they look kind of like a fish head or reptilian or something like that but yeah they're the species that's in i think it's like another subspace domain and they're kidnapping mm-hmm. people from the enterprise like Riker and and some others in order to do some experiments apparently it, they don't talk about it much um in the episode for for what they're doing but i think it's really frightening just to think you go to sleep and you get abducted all kinds of experiments and you can't remember you, uh, Riker's what his arm gets amputated at one point during the night that's ridiculously yeah. freaky well and that they're you know they're tr- i like the intent is that they're trying to figure out a way like how can we live in your space how can you live in our space we need to figure this out and they they are scientists in essence um now what they want to do in our space that's still up for debate but you know there's this group of scientists that are you know performing these you know little well not little because yeah Riker's arm is amputated and put back on and you know blood is being taken out and put in with this other Solanogen based. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess you could say they're kind of like a monster. Although the way that they're designed, I, I think the uh, the people who are working on the episode were a little disappointed by it that it didn't look frightening enough. But I thought just the idea of what they were doing was frightening. And as I think I mentioned on another episode, there is a novel. Take another shot, Zach. <laughs> that that talks about them more. Uh, the Titan novel, Sight Unseen, and they get a name for the species, the Solanae, and you actually get to learn about their society and why they're doing this. It's it's really fascinating. But yeah, I mean, they're definitely a very memorable creature. I mean, not only are they doing these things that are frightening and they look different, but they're from like this different domain. They never actually. Yeah get into the enterprises like subspace domain or or universe but they're able to do all of these things that are really frightening and i think a lot of people would say it's one of the scariest episodes in star trek so that's yeah i i wouldn't want to have to deal with them because i think that's something that since i was a kid i was i was actually afraid like i'd get abducted by aliens or that experiments would be done on me i've gotten over that but uh (laughs) but it's one of those things that you're really afraid of something that's unknown like that that you may not even know about yeah well and just the idea of being pulled out of bed i mean that just (laughs) gives everyone nightmares slide you out of bed and take you through this thing i know yeah and i'll give you bedhead all day (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we have, I think, something that's very beautiful, uh, the crystalline entity, and we see this in data lore and silicon avatar. So it is. I think it's one of the more beautiful creatures, monsters, It's It's dangerous. I mean, it kills people. It's dangerous. But I don't know if it's ill intent. It's yeah, just it's feeding. trying to feed. It do, it it, yeah. it isn't like oh, I'm gonna go and kill these people. It's just looking for food and energy yeah. and organic molecules, I guess, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But but it is a really interesting kind of like it's like this giant tree with with kind of shimmering branches and like all. I mean, it looks like like a clear Christmas tree or something. It's 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 very interesting the way that it looks. And again, it's another spaceborne species. 
And this is one actually that also appears in that novel that I mentioned before, the, the Titan novel, Orion's Hounds, that's kind of part mm-hmm. of this group of different spacefaring organisms. So it's, it, it, again, a, a different design for a spaceborne species and one that is kind of just trying to live its life in its way, but it's negatively impacting our own and we need to do something about it. Yeah. Well, when I look at it, my math brain, it looks like a fractal, you know, yeah, with the repeating patterns and stuff as it goes out. But they, there was probably something related to fractals that they used in designing it because that's used in a lot of, yeah. I think, in a lot of computer design, right? It is. Yeah. Yes. When I think about the uh, crystalline entity, like it's it's scary and it's like it brings this awe and you have to respect it, but it's not something, I, I don't know, fear I mean, you have to respect it, but it's not having this ill intent that it wants to kill you. It just wants to, you know, live. But if it is trying to kill you, whether there's ill intent or not, it's still something that can be frightening. And and also, it's huge. Like one of these images, you show the Enterprise and it's like a fraction of the size of this thing. So it's Mm -hmm. absolutely enormous. But it does communicate because we know, you know, it talks with Lore and, you know, Lore sends it a location for it to go Mm -hmm. so i mean there is a way that he communicates with it although when the enterprise is trying to communicate with it in in silicon avatar it's not like they're really getting a lot of information back so right it's just like oh it's vibrating more it's moving away or whatever but yeah lore has somehow figured it out you don't get the moment like you do with you know the nanites or or the um the life form the microbarian and home soil where it's like here's what I am and why I'm doing this. You don't get anything like that. You just have to kind of guess at its intent and what you can do about it. And unfortunately, the one that we see is destroyed. So, yeah. yeah. Do we see, is this a single creature? Because we don't see like other crystalline entities. We don't know if it lives in its community or if it has Well, I mean, is, is it clear that the one we see in Silicon Avatar is the same one that's in Data Lore? Oh, good point. I don't know. But also, again, going back to this novel, Orion's Hounds, there there is more than one. There's a whole like, oh, okay. community of a them. Community. It's, it's not just like a single one, but that's not canon. So later they could say yeah. it's the only one. But, right. but that I think that would make sense that there's a whole kind of group of them and there are certain species. Yeah. But it's it's a very memorable <laughs> space-born species. If you say crystalline entity, I think any Star Trek fan gets the image in their mind and they, knows what, they know what it is. Yeah. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am very glad that you put this on. Um, let's talk about Genesis. Yes. Genesis. <laughs> so all the devolved, de-evolved forms of the crew that we get, I just think is so awesome. These definitely are creatures. But again, is this man-made or, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, but in this in this case, I think it's an accident with what Crusher does for Barclay, like Barclay. something that she does with some kind of manipulation to help him out, interacts with this virus, and it just so they kind of create it. But I put it in this category because, like an identity crisis, there's something that's transforming them into something different. So, you right. know, you get Riker as kind of a Neanderthal or, you know, previous human form. You get Troy like a frog, <laughs> which is kind of frightening yes, to the see. Amphibian yeah. Troy. Love it. It's cold in here. See, yeah. I relate to her. She's turn up the heat. Turn up the heat. You you feel like an amphibian sometimes. 
Yes. <laughs> That's why I live in Las Vegas. So if ever I get cold, I can just walk outside. Oh, really? So you up. walk outside when it's 110 and you're like, this is perfect. You saw me at the at Star Trek Las Vegas. That was, I was like inside. Freezing in there. Yeah, I know, but oh, I didn't see you outside yeah. in 110 degree heat and whether you'd want oh, to stand well, there for a I while. I was out there. But, but yeah, that, that's great. We see the Barclay spider, which is really frightening. Nurse Ogawa turns into some kind of prior human ape. form, ape-like form. And also, so I put in a picture here of the de-evolved wharf, which actually you don't see it this clearly in the episode. But because you just see it and it's kind of like has this freaky face, but it's in in shadow. But this was a a picture I can probably post in the Babel conference. But this is a picture of the actor that put on those prosthetics. I don't think it was Michael Dorn, (laughs) but it's this Mm. really like kind of gnarly, spiked, rough face with this, I don't know, some kind of tentacles coming out of the chin or something like that. It's really. Yeah, they sort of look like tusks. Yeah. I'll have to post that picture yeah. because in the episode itself, you don't see it as clearly as as this image of of the actor in that makeup. But just, I mean, yeah, the, it, really frightening forms. And it's Genesis isn't my favorite episode, but it's it's interesting, and I love seeing like these different forms and these different creatures that they could be. It's like the episode where the Enterprise crew, you know. They are really the monsters that are threatening everyone else on the ship. So that's right. that's a, a pretty cool concept. So I I had to put it in here because they do turn into other creatures. Well, and this episode won an award for its makeup. Oh, I think the makeup is is great for this one. Yeah, yeah. it really is. And the creativity. It always sort of bugged me. I don't know if bug is the right word. That's a little too strong, but I I always wondered. I'm like, okay, I get that Troy was different because she's Betazoid, right. right? I get that Worf is different because he's Klingon, right. but Riker, Barkley, and Nurse Ogawa, like they're all humans, and yet they're turning into something different. And especially Barkley with a spider, like <laughs> Nurse Ogawa and Riker, I get it. They're going to different, you know, prototype, proto man, and an yeah. ape. I get that, but like a spider, why would Barkley go to a spider? Yeah, it, I mean. Well, there's a lot of problems with this de-evolution concept in this episode and other Star Trek episodes. But but yeah, it, it, a spider would be a problem because you'd have to basically like go back to the common ancestor with, you know, hominids or greater apes and then go up a different branch of the tree to get to spiders. Yeah. And that makes no sense, but it's freaky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the whole concept really doesn't make too much sense, but it's... But it's, it's great for Star Trek <laughs> and it's just fun. Exactly. Yeah. Just let it go. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, Justin, let's. What do you think about this? These twelve creatures slash monsters that we've talked about. Yeah, as I said, I mean, I'm sure there's more that we could cover. My original list, I think, had thirty or more. But it, it's interesting to look at it from this perspective and to see the whole variety of different creatures that we get. You know, you get these writhing worms that Klingons eat. You get a a, a targ, which is kind of like a pet that looks like a boar. Uh, you get a parasite that looks like maybe like a beetle or a scorpion. You get the space jellyfish, which really truly is like a jellyfish in space. But it's a cool concept that it's a space-born species, lives its life there, but can also live on a planet and mimic other things and has a lot of power and all of that. And you see the different space-born species in Galaxy's Child and in Tin Man that are also you know, quite different. Then you see something like 
like Armis from from Skin of Evil that is really like a monster or some something that's that's like pure evil. Uh, you get the 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 microbrain life form, which is this tiny thing that can still communicate with you and is just trying to to live its life. You have the nanites. You know, you have the Tarkanan three species from Identity Crisis that turns people into these other types of creatures that are invisible, except in ultraviolet. You know, you have the, these aliens from another realm from schisms, the crystalline entity, which is another cool spaceborne species, and even de-evolving the different crew members of, of the Enterprise. So I think in looking at this, in the next generation, there were a lot of different types of creatures that they presented us with. It wasn't like the same thing all the time. Uh, they And it presented different storytelling opportunities for, for these different creatures and where you could take it. And, you know, a lot of them are, I think, pretty memorable episodes or memorable things. Like everybody knows about Gawk. Everybody's going to remember the parasites from Conspiracy or the space jellyfish or, you know, Armis or the crystalline entity or the nanites. I mean, it's it's a lot of, or, you know, the aliens from Schisms. It's from a lot of the kind of most memorable episodes. And I think over the course of the show, and I did only take things from the show because I was thinking about the movies and I was like, eh, do we really have anything? Maybe not so much. But, but over the course of the seven seasons, they were putting together all of these different kinds of life forms and creatures. And it just took you to all of these different uh, storytelling places and all of these, uh, you know, different memorable episodes. So I, I like looking at this and seeing what they did with it. Cause I think they did a lot of really interesting things with all of these kind of creatures and monsters. Yeah. I I'm with you looking at this list and the more that we didn't even cover, like the creativity is off the charts. I so many times am watching next gen going, where do they come up with this stuff? And, you know, the makeup and the costuming and the design and just the whole idea of it, just, I am so impressed every single time. And, and you're right, just the wide spectrum of space living, earth bearing mm-hmm. creatures and monsters is so crazy. I love it. And I, I hope that you know, we can learn from this as a human species and decide how are we going to, you know, react when we do come across something that is alien and foreign to us. I mean, we've seen a lot of different ways that um, it has been handled in fiction. And so how are we going to, are we going to assume the worst? Are we going to assume they're attacking us? How are we going to treat? Are we going to enslave them? Are we going to endanger them? You know, I think it, it says a lot and that we can learn from, you know, this crazy fiction that's not real, but still take away like, what are we going to do uh, when we do come across something that is foreign and a creature to us, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point because unless there's some progenitor species like you see in the chase, if there are other intelligent life forms and other kinds of life out there, you know, in the galaxy, it's probably going to be, I, I think maybe it would be more likely that you would see something like that would be exotic, like one of these creatures than to see something that would look like a Vulcan or a Trill or right. a Klingon or something like that. I think yeah. it's quite likely you'll find something very different because they might have different 
circumstances, or you know, they don't use DNA; they use a different kind of genetic material or something like that, right? So、mm-hmm. this, and and that's also what I love about Star Trek. It gets us thinking about these things because. Hopefully, eventually, we'll make contact with some other life form, and it might be very different. And hopefully, we've thought about some of these things beforehand. Right. You know,、exactly. that's why everybody should watch Star Trek, right? <laughs> to、that's、try、right. try to get there, and but you know, and not be. I'm sure we'll be surprised. Like if it happens tomorrow that we're contacted by some、uh, some alien civilization or see some spaceborne life form, I'm sure it'll even be something that is much wilder than anything we've even seen in Star Trek, probably. Yeah. But at least it's preparing us a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it boils down, when you just boil it down, it's how do we deal with differences?、Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Where it's you know a different species, a creature, or even you know somebody with different ideology living here, my neighbor. You know how do we deal with those differences? But so yes, everyone should watch Star Trek. I agree <laughs> for sure. Yep. So next week, oh my gosh, I can't believe we will be having our favorite character moments from season. Wait, Amy,、seven. I think our, our listeners have heard this preview before. <laughs> well, you know, we had a little bump in the road with Patrick Stewart. <laughs> well, no, I mean it. It was not even、oh, the Patrick yeah, Stewart、right. episode. It, it was. It was just that Richard was was away a bit at the last minute. So we、yeah. were going to do favorite character moments season seven. Hope you enjoyed Creatures of TNG instead. But next week, if everyone's available, <laughs> it's our intent to do favorite character moments season seven. Finally. <laughs> Yeah, you know, scheduling and yeah, bumps in the road—that's what happens. But that is our intent. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to it. So many people I hear don't like season seven, but and they quote unquote call it the family reunion. Whatever. That would be Zach Moore again. Zach, we're. Yes, I hope you're listening、is. and your ears are burning a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but. So we will get to that. So. It's been so much fun talking about creatures and monsters on the Next Generation, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek FM, the Six O Two Club. I think that while while I agree he he's not malicious, and I hesitate. You know, it's hard to call him evil because he seems like such a, a Zon. Does a really great head game of constructing this time on an imperial ship where you have to continually say to yourself, "It's almost like, honestly, it's almost like watching John Smith at home in the Man in the High Castle." You see this guy in a, in a, if anybody hasn't watched it, it's an alternative history thing based on a Philip K. Dick novel where in this alternate history. The the Axis powers won World War Two, and so coming soon to a six o club near you. Oh yeah, it's I love the show so much. But one of the mind tricks that show does with you is you meet this one character where you have to continually remind yourself he's working for the bad guys. Stop giving him so many breaks, Earl Grey. But I wanted to actually. Do some like humming and singing of my choice, if that's、okay. all right with you guys. Please take it away. <laughs> so when I thought, what I thought of it was.
I fell into a burning ring fire. of fire and went down, 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 and the flames went higher. I just love that song. I had to sing it. <laughs> to the journey! You compared the mind meld to notches on a bedpost? Why can't I compare it to trench coat flashing? No, I'm saying it's not like that. It shouldn't be like that. You're the one saying it's like that. I'm not at all. But if you're doing it, that's what you're doing. You're seeing how many people you can mind meld with, and that's notches on a bedpost or trench coat flashing. That's what you're trying to do. It just seems like such an efficient way to get knowledge and experiences from other people. You know what's more efficient? Assimilation. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. So what's stopping you from going that next step? Because we're, we're talking about the Kess era here. We don't have Seven of Nine yet, you know. Continuing mission. So you were that in the helps. second episode. I was in the second episode. And which, at that time, it was no longer Star Trek Renegades. It was just Renegades. Well, when I got on the plane to go down to be on set, <laughs> it was Star Trek Renegades. When the plane landed, <laughs> CBS had released fan okay. film guidelines. Okay. And so they had already shot one day as Star Trek okay. Renegades with Nichelle Nichols and Walter Koenig, uh, Sirk Lofton and Tim Russ doing some green screen work. And they had the uniforms, the ears, the badges, all that. Mm-hmm. And then they had to shut production down for a day. They tried to get a hold of lawyers talking to lawyers saying, what do we do to continue or not continue? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our show on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website, or grab that RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not eating gach? Uh, You mean when I'm not eating the vegetarian gach? that has the motors inside to keep it squirming around. (laughs) Uh, You can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, currently tweeting out my Season 6 rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not getting impressions from Space Jellyfish? Great joy and gratitude. Wait, that's supposed to happen at the end of the show. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So sorry. I was getting the impression a little bit early. (laughs) Well, you can find me here on the network. I co-host The Edge with Patrick Devlin, and that is our Star Trek Discovery podcast on Trek FM. I also am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, and I am tweeting about my Deep Space Nine rewatch slash watch, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm in season four now. Yay. All right. How far in season four are you as of this recording? Episode 10. Mm, Okay. 
And so it was a two-parter. Oh, I forget the name of it. I just tweeted it out. But, oh, it's where um, the uh, Dominion and they're down on a Starfleet headquarters and they're trying oh, to... Oh, Homefront Paradise Lost? Yes, Homefront. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And my favorite place is on the Babel Conference because that's where all the fun is at. So... If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And we have four creatures and monsters that we want to appreciate right now. They are our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Glory to you and your God. Great joy and gratitude. <laughs>